are you, Parkview? Are you doing good today? Everybody good? Have a good Thanksgiving? Awesome. It's great to be here. We've had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, it's awesome to be uh, in Chicagoland area with all of you. How about them Cubs? Lifelong Chicago Cubs fan here. So uh, I grew up in central Illinois, so that's uh, been really awesome. And I love this church. I love your pastor. I love Tim and Denise. They're some of Barbara and I's best friends, and we're so grateful for their friendship. You know you have one of the great pastors in America, don't you, at Parkview? You really do. And uh, I bring you greetings from Anaheim, California, home of the Ducks hockey team, Angels baseball team, Mickey Mouse, and the most expensive, I mean, happiest place on earth. Uh, in Anaheim. Uh, Some of you have not heard me speak before, and I know you're wondering, Gene, is that your real voice? Do you really sound that way? Right? I get that all the time, you know. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, uh, God didn't give me a voice like Barry White. You know, I'd give your audio team a hundred bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White. Kind of, Jesus loves you, baby. Something like that. Uh, But instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. So that's what you have uh, this weekend. Hey, uh, did you hear about the guy who had this uh, talking parrot that had a cussing problem and, uh, you know, really had a foul mouth, no pun intended, and uh, and didn't know what to do about it. So he took it to his pastor and he said, could you do something with my parrot? So the pastor took it home for a few days, thought he'd give it a try. Everything went fine for a few days. And then one day the pastor forgot to feed the parrot. And the parrot just started cussing a blue streak that would make a sailor blush. And so the pastor, in an attempt to do some behavior modification, put the parrot in the freezer for about 10 minutes. And this was another pastor, not me. And uh, after 10 minutes, he opens the freezer door. The parrot's just shivering. It's turned blue. I don't know what a parrot looks like when it turns blue, but it had and had icicles on it. And the pastor says, you're going to talk like that anymore? You're going to cuss anymore? He said, no way. He said, but what did that turkey do to get in there? (laughs) Anybody eat turkey this week? Yeah, we had turkey. We've been with family. Our son and his uh, wife live in downtown Chicago. We've had a great time with them. And my guess is many of you, before you had that first piece of turkey this week, before you ate the last piece of pumpkin pie, many of you took a moment and you bowed your heads. Maybe you even joined hands at your table and you did what? You prayed. We prayed. And sometimes when we pray, the question comes up, well, why pray? I mean, if, if God already knows everything before we even ask it, why bother to pray, right? Why lift it up to him? I think most of us have been afraid to verbalize that sometimes. Is God even listening? Why should I bother to pray? When our daughter, Elena, was five years old, my Aunt Evie and Uncle Hugh came to visit us. And they were getting older in years. And and, uh, we had some apple pie and ice cream in our family. What other kind of pie would we have at the apple house than apple pie? And we're sitting around the family room. We're eating. And and Elena just became fascinated with Uncle Hugh's hearing aids. I don't know that she'd ever seen anybody with hearing aids before. And she would look at them. And she crawled up on my lap. And she said, Daddy, whispered in my ear, how come Uncle Hugh has bubble gum in his ears? She thought his hearing aids were bubble gum. And I think sometimes we have felt that way about our prayer life. We're like, is God listening? Does he have bubble gum in his ears? Do my prayers just kind of go like a, an email that gets vaporized in, you know, outer space somewhere and, and they never reach God's ears? 
Do they get ever heard by God? Why pray? I want to unpack a passage from James chapter 5 today to answer this question. You might want to follow along in your Bible if you have one, or your iPhone, your iPad, or you can follow with your eyeballs right here on the screen. Here's reason number one of why you ought to pray. Because you're in trouble. Because you're in trouble. James begins this passage in James chapter 5, verse 13, and he says, Is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. I mean, trouble is the number one reason most of us probably pray. You ever have trouble? Relationship trouble, marriage trouble, financial trouble, school trouble, emotional trouble, car trouble. In fact, this is why I think most of us pray. This is probably the main reason most of us pray is we pray when we're in trouble. A Gallup poll shows that more people pray than will drive to work this week, than will uh, punch in at work this week. More people pray than will work out this week. Nine out of ten of us claim that we pray regularly. Four out of five of us say we pray every day. And let's be honest, trouble is the number one reason we pray. The word prayer, do you know where it comes from? It comes from the Latin word precarios. We get our word precarious from that. We pray when we're in precarious situations. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray when there's an accident. We pray when we're sick. We pray when a routine physical turns into our worst medical nightmare. We pray when after waiting for years to get pregnant, there's a heartbreaking miscarriage. We pray when the adoption falls through at the last minute. We pray when company downsizing eliminates our position. We pray when we're on an airplane that starts experiencing extreme turbulence and everybody is like, oh yeah, I'm praying right now, you know? No atheist in that moment. When our girls were little, I was at my office one Friday morning and I'm on the phone and I see that I'm getting another phone call coming in on another line, but I was on a call, so I just let it go to voice message. As soon as I'm done with the call that I'm on, I listen to my voice message. It's my wife. And there is a, there is a level of fear in her voice that I had never heard. She says, it's me. We're outside the Ross dress for less. I've got the girls. We're on the floor of the van. Gunshots are firing. I don't know what to do. Call me. You ever had a call like that? And all I could do is I just started praying, God, be with Barbara, be with the girls. I don't know what's happening right now. And I got on the phone and, and there was an armored uh, bank car robbery and two guards were shot dead right in front of them with heavy artillery. There were gunshots flying over their head. You pray when you're in trouble. Friends, James is saying when you're in trouble, your heavenly father wants you to pray. I want my kids to come to me when they're in trouble. I want them to bring their needs to me. I will always respond because I love them. I may not respond in the way that they ask me to respond. I may not respond in the way that they want me to respond, but I will respond in the way that I think is best for them in that moment. Some people say, well, no use asking. God's going to do what God's going to do. You know, he's already made up his mind, so why should I go? And I asked him for this once. I'm never going to ask him again. That's like saying, well, dad told me I couldn't drive the car. and His mind is made up. I'm just never going to ask again. Well, yeah, he told you that when you were 14. But now that you're 31, you know, you might want to ask him again. Maybe get your license. Sometimes we get this picture of God that he's inflexible, that he's stubborn. My mind is made up like he's got bubble gum in his ears and he's not even listening. 
But there is an awesome picture of God in Revelation chapter 8 of the New Testament. It's a picture in heaven where there is smoke and there are earthquakes and there's thunder and lightning and there's, there's praise going on and there's music going on. It's loud and all of a sudden it gets completely silent. Because God's, the prayer of God's people are rising up to heaven. Think about that. All of heaven stops for God to receive the request and prayers of his people. You pray when you're in trouble. Why pray? Second, we pray because we're grateful. Verse 13 continues in this passage, and it says, Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. You're happy. You're thankful. You sing a song of praise. You know, I wear this... uh, wireless microphone when I teach. And a few months ago at the church that I serve, I was uh, on Sunday morning, I was down front, we were having our worship time and I was standing and I had my wireless microphone on and I was just singing my heart out, you know, and, and what I didn't know is my microphone was on. And it, people actually, they couldn't really hear it in the room because of the loudness in the room. But we have a lot of people who around the globe watch our services online, they're live streaming. And so Everybody who was watching live streaming could see our worship leader leading worship, but they were hearing my voice. And I, I, I got a text. My phone was blown up from my kids. Dad, Dad, you're, you know. And this one friend of one of my daughters took a video of me uh, and my voice that Sunday from her computer. And this is what it looks like. It's our worship leader, but it's my voice. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. That was definitely making a joyful noise to the Lord right there, right? And I'm just glad it wasn't on when I was in the bathroom, to be honest with you. But you know, uh, some people ask me, say, were you, were you upset about that? I was like, absolutely not. I want people to know I am a grateful pastor. I want people to know I am a thankful pastor for all God has done in my life. I'm thankful that he made me. I'm thankful that he sent his only son for me. I'm thankful that I grew up in a home that pointed me to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for his word that guides me. I'm grateful that his Holy Spirit is with me always. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my kids, for my family. I'm grateful for my church family. I want to live with gratitude. I don't want to be an ungrateful, bitter old man someday that just grumbles around. I want to live with that kind of a happy spirit. What are you grateful to God for? Social critic Robert Hughes wrote a book a few years ago that uh, really defined our American society, and it had an interesting title. It was called The Culture of Complaint. And he says, we live in a society where people feel they're entitled to all kinds of things, and when their desires aren't met, they see themselves as victims. So he says we live in a culture of complaint and we can start griping and we can start complaining and we can start grumbling pretty fast, can't we? I'm thankful, but. It's a pretty good job, but. They're pretty good kids, but. He's a pretty good husband, but. It's a really good church, but. 
And friends, that kind of ingratitude, that kind of complaining just makes our heart smaller and colder and harder day after day. That kind of ingratitude has led to a culture of discontent and complaining and a judgmental, dissatisfied people. One of the things that's always amazed me about the Apostle Paul is that no matter what he went through, beatings, shipwreck, hunger, illness, thorn in the flesh, he always lived with just a grateful spirit. And he said these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. You don't give thanks for cancer. You don't give thanks for accidents. You don't give thanks for divorce. But you give thanks in all circumstances that God is with you and you are never alone. And he works all circumstances together for good for those who love him. There's a lot we can complain about if we choose to. And so a phrase I think all of us need to learn to say, I need to say more often, is just the phrase, it could be worse. In fact, let's just say that together. Say that with me. It could be worse. Let's say it again. It could be worse. So after church today, when you go out and get in your car with 145,000 miles on it that you wish you could trade in right now, you're going to say to yourself, that's right. And when your visa bill arrives in January after all your December Christmas spending and you look at that amount, you're going to say, yeah. And when you're going upstairs at your house today and you stop at the landing to rest and you can't remember whether you were going up or coming down, you're going to say... Yeah, and when you walk through your door that has so many things, you'd like to have new furnishings in your house, you'd like to have a better house, you're going to say? Yeah, and when you roll over and look at that person lying next to you tomorrow morning, you're going to say? No, you're not going to say that, okay? (laughs) Someone said one of the most frustrated people on earth is the atheist who is grateful and they don't know who to thank. (laughs) Friends, we know who to thank. James is saying here, if you're happy, if you have something that you're grateful for, if something has filled your heart with gratitude this Thanksgiving season, then thank God. Sing songs of praise to him. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we're grateful and happy. And third, we ought to pray because we all need a place of complete honesty. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Notice that we confess our sins to each other. We pray for each other. I know one of the values that you hold high here at Parkview is the value of community. That's why small groups are so important in this church. There is so much power in finding a few other people who you can take your mask off with and you can say, this is who I really am. And here's some things in my life I'm not so proud of. And could you pray for me in that regard? And, and he says, there's healing in that. You don't need to share those things with everyone. You don't need to share those things with anyone. You shouldn't just do that. But all of us need some relationships where we can take the mask off and we say, this is who I really am. You want to know two of the most powerful words that can ever be spoken in a church community like Parkview? It's these two words right here. Me too. Me too. Not like, how you doing? I'm fine. Me too. 
Not like, how's it going? Oh, life is great. Career is thriving. Daddy got a promotion. Mom is beautiful. The kids are getting straight A's. Me too. Not like that. When you were broken, when you were using Coke, when you were cooking meth in your garage, when you had a spending issue, an alcohol issue, a gambling issue that you couldn't control, you didn't need somebody to point their finger at you and wag their finger and say, you should, you should, you should. You needed someone who's been where you are who could say, me too. One of the things I love about 12-step groups, one of the things I love about things like AA and Celebrate Recovery is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what title is in front of your name. It doesn't matter if it's doctor or president or CEO or pastor or professor. People begin those meetings just by saying, hi, I'm Gene. Hi, I'm, I'm Tim. I'm, I'm Ashley. I'm Julie. And I'm an alcoholic. This is who I really am. Not hiding. There's no mask. And then people in response, they say, hi, Gene. Sounds awful clean, doesn't it? Hi, Gene. Or hi, Tim. Hi, Julie. Hi, Ashley. And in that response, they're saying, hey, I've been there. Me too. When people walk into our churches, when the people come into our small groups beaten up by life, wondering if they have a future, carrying a bag of regrets, they don't need people who point their finger at them and say, you should, you should, you should. They need a pastor who'll stand up and say, me too. You're unkind to your spouse once in a while. Me too. You've yelled at your kids on the way to church before. <laughs> me too. You ate a bag of Doritos at 1130 Friday night all by yourself. Me too. <laughs> you wanted to cuss somebody out who cut you off in traffic this week. Me too. But I have this sticker on the back of my car that has our church name on it. So I couldn't. I wanted to, but I couldn't. <laughs> you know, imagine if your church is like the church I serve, many of you right now, you're thinking a lot about who you're going to invite to Christmas services because you just have family and friends that you care about that much. And I'll tell you, I've been in ministry for 35 years now. And one of the things I've noticed is I can point you to thousands of people who will look back to an invitation to a Christmas service who will say, that's when everything changed in my life. That's when my spiritual journey began. That's when a seed got planted. That's when our marriage began to get healed. That's when our family thought there might be hope for us. That's where God met me and carried me. But what people don't need, they're not looking for a perfect church. They're not looking for a perfect pastor. Thank goodness, because you know you don't have one of those, right? But they need a me too kind of church. They need a me too kind of people. All of us need relationships where we can be honest. There's something therapeutic and healing in a me too kind of community. A friend of mine had a woman share with him Someday, some things she'd never told another person. And she confessed them and they prayed together. And she felt so good when she left. She told him later, she said, I went home and got on my bathroom scale because I felt so much lighter. I wasn't, she said, but I felt that way. There's healing when we have a place of honesty to confess our sins. Why pray? Because we're in trouble. Why pray? Because we're grateful, because we're happy. 
Why pray? Because we all need a place of honesty. And here's the last reason I want to share with you. Because prayer is powerful and effective. It just is. That's what the Bible says. Verse 16 continues and it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You say, well, that counts me out because I'm not a righteous person. Nobody's a righteous person. This is saying the person who has humbled themselves and says, I'm dependent on the righteousness of Jesus to make me righteous. When that person prays, they have a prayer life that is powerful and effective. And then James goes on and uses an example right out of the Old Testament from Scripture. Verse 17. He says, Elijah was a human just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a guy who had quite a series of miraculous things happen in his lifetime. He once raised a woman's son back to life. Pretty incredible, isn't it? In another well-known story, he called down fire from heaven that destroyed the false priests and prophets of Baal. And another time, God spoke to him in a still small voice on a mountain. And in kind of the big kahuna of all miracles, Elijah never died. He was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. But here James refers to another of one of the big miracles that happened during Elijah's life. The people were being disobedient to God. And so he prayed for three and a half years for a famine. And there was not a drop of rain for three and a half years. And after that got the people's attention and turned them back toward God, he prayed that God would then give rain. And it came down in torrents. After three and a half years of no rain, all of a sudden it started to rain and the crops returned. I mean, that's quite a track record, isn't it? Raising a a widow's son back to life, calling down fire from heaven, going to heaven in a fiery chariot, you know, calling for rain to stop and then for rain to be stored. And you think, wow, that must have been quite a guy, that Elijah. But James is quick to point out here. Notice he says, Elijah was a human just as we are. Sometimes we have this idea, oh, those people in the Bible, they were just super saints. You know, I mean, no, of course, those things happened to them. But James is very quick to point out, no, he's just like you. He's just like me. So if you're facing some kind of personal drought in your life and you want God to move in miraculous ways in your life, he is saying, pray earnestly because the prayer of the person who depends on the righteousness of Jesus, it's powerful and it's effective. Tony Campala is a Christian writer and speaker and preacher uh, out in the East Coast. He teaches at a college in, in Pennsylvania. He's an incredible communicator. And he writes in one of his books uh, about this incident. He says, there's a Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach. I'm not Pentecostal, but I talk so fast they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out okay. He says, one day they invited me to speak at a chapel service. I like speaking there because they're dynamic, happy people. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me to a back room and got me down on my knees. They laid their hands on my head and they prayed for me. He said, that was good. I need all the prayer I can get. Only one problem. These guys prayed a long time. That's usually okay, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. The more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. I want to tell you, when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. One guy wasn't even praying for me. Instead, he went on and on praying for somebody named Charlie Stolfus. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road, about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. I felt like saying, knock it off, guy. What do you think God's doing? Saying, what's that address again? Anyway, he went on and on. Lord, 
Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and three kids, walk out on his family. Lord, step in, do something, bring that family back together again. So I'm asking myself, when is this guy going to knock it off so I can get these preachers off my head? But he just kept going on and on about Charlie Stolfus. Leaving his wife and kids, he's living in the silver trailer a mile down the road, right-hand side. Finally, the prayers were over. I got to the pulpit. I preached. After I finished, I got in my car, drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, headed for home. As I drove onto the Turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Now, I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher, and whenever I can get anybody locked in as a captive audience, I do it. <laughs> so I stopped and picked him up. We drove a few minutes, and I said, Hi, my name's Tony Campala. What's your name? He said, My name's Charlie Stolfus. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I got off the Turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that. After a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and he asked why. I said, because you just left your wife and three children, right? That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door, never took his eyes off me. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit. Then I really did him in as I drove right up to his silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know that I live here? I said, God told me. <laughs> I believe God did tell me. When we got out of the car, I ordered him to get into the trailer. Half shaking, he answered, right, mister, sure, I'm going. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. When he whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said, with real authority, Kampala says, I said, with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen. Man, did they listen. I was like E.F. Hutton. <laughs> that afternoon, Charlie Stolf and his, Stolfus and his wife both decided to become followers of Jesus Christ. They both decided to humble themselves and work on their marriage. Last I heard, Charlie Stolfus is now a pastor out in the Northwest. Friends, that's just the power of prayer. I don't have those kinds of experiences every day in my life, but I've had them enough in my life that it makes me wonder how much more often they would happen if I would trust God that prayers can be powerful and effective. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Think of that phrase, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Notice he didn't say, my house will be called a house of busyness. My house will be called a house of great activity. My house will be called a house of many good things. No, that's not what he said. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. It's no wonder because when we pray, we place ourselves in the streams of the mighty power of God. Prayer is the laboratory of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is where we encounter the living God. Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I urge you, like you've always done at Parkview, keep this house a house of prayer. Keep the house where you live a house of prayer. Keep the house where your small group meets a house of prayer. Keep this body, this temple, this house that the Holy Spirit lives in a house of prayer. You know, the truth is we can come to church on Sunday morning. We look good. We smile every, on the outside. Maybe we serve around here. Maybe you're in a small group. You're really plugged in at Parkview. But the truth of the matter is, and many of you know this, 
many of you haven't spent five minutes in prayer this week. Not even five minutes. What if we change that? What if we just prayed five more minutes a day from whatever we're praying now? What could God do? What if some of you overachievers just started praying 10, 15 more minutes a day than you already do? You know, when people think of Parkview these days, they probably think of the size of this church, the growth of this church, the multi-site vision of this church that you have. That's all exciting. But wouldn't it be something if when people thought of this church, they said, oh, that's a house of prayer. That's where people get on their knees and they really believe that when they talk to God, their prayers are powerful and effective and heaven moves. Let's bow our heads together. Are any of you in trouble right now in your life? In a precarious situation, the Bible says you should pray. And you can just take that request to God right now. Just take it to him. After the service of both campuses, there's going to be prayer teams down front. If you'd like to just come and and pray with somebody today, they would love nothing more than to pray with you. Are you grateful? Are you happy? What do you need to thank God for today? Is there something you need to be honest with God about and confess to find healing? Would you pray? Maybe even pray for somebody you want to see impacted by the Christmas services this year. Those prayers of a person dependent on the righteousness of Jesus are powerful and effective. God, we confess to you today our sin of a lack of prayer in our life. We thank you that you're always listening, you're always available, you're always there. We thank you for hearing our prayers when we're in trouble, when we're grateful, when we're guilty and we need a place of honesty. And now we pray that you would do what human beings could never do, that you would work your way and your will in our circumstances. May this church always be a house of prayer. May our homes be a house of prayer. May our small groups meet in houses of prayer. And God, may we as temples of your Holy Spirit be houses of prayer. And we lift our prayers now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said,